0: Um, anyhow, if it all goes well, I'll be back before 75. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Um, so, as I said, the, the, the main uh, theme is sorry, there's nothing there. is um, pleasing God, and, and the two main points breaks into two two halves. This passage really, as you probably discerned, um, one is against impurity. Uh, the first uh, the first uh, chunk. Of this uh, passage, and the second is brotherly or sisterly love, and sober conduct as a mark of belief. So it breaks into two parts: warnings against impurity, and showing brotherly uh, love, and uh, sober conduct as a mark of belief. So um, I will be kind of going through pretty much verse by verse. So bear with me. Um, I won't literally be looking at word at a time, but um, we'll start at verse one and we'll finish at verse twelve. Put it that way. Um, and um, so the first, the first verse then, where Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, and finally, he's not actually winding up, there's another chapter to come after this, but this is him sort of coasting down towards the end of his, le- of his letter. So finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So, as you mentioned in the opening prayer, it's our great objective is to please God. Uh, it's not to please ourselves, it's not to serve ourselves, it's not even to serve those around us, that's uh, very important, but it's secondary to pleasing God and to glorifying our risen Saviour. And Paul gives vital directions here as to uh, how to do that. There are many, many ways, of course, in which we, we can and must please God, and he focuses on a couple of uh, points uh, in this chapter, uh, and the reason for that will um or while well, it may be, we will um, look into um, but he's made it clear from uh, earlier in, his, uh, in the epistle here, um, so just flipping back a couple of chapters to 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, where he writes, or verse 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to, to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. And he contrasts uh, our um, pleasing of God uh, with the tormentors and of, of, of Christians uh, and with the enemies of Christ. And staying in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse uh, 14 and 15, uh, he, he writes, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind. So, it's, uh, it's not hidden as a, as, a, as a very important theme and doctrine in, in what Paul's writing, that uh, it is our life's work to, to work to please God. That is the only thing that really matters. So getting into um, the first point then, warnings against impurity. So really all conduct that we um, live either pleases or displeases God. It's not neutral. It's either pleasing to him as a sacrifice of worship or it's displeasing to him as an act of willfulness and disobedience. It's not neutral. What we may think it is, people go through lives thinking that they've done nothing terrible and therefore God should be pleased with them. But there's been much, much else uh, in their lives, whether they know it or not, whether they recognise it or not, that has been displeasing to God. Their rejection of him. They're living in a way that doesn't make him their priority. They're living in a way that doesn't honour uh, him and uh, doesn't uh, recognise him as the creator of all things. So they might think that's neutral, but actually it is displeasing to God. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't earn our way into God's uh, pleasure. But nevertheless, our motives and our princip- and our priorities uh, can be to please God, and He's pleased with that, imperfect as it is, um, but it's not neutral. It's either pleasing to God as a, as a sacrifice offered to him, imperfect as it is, or it's displeasing to him. And it's a great challenge that we should ask ourselves: Is our, is our uh, conduct? Is it pleasing to God? Was it yesterday? Is it today? How will it be tomorrow? And this isn't to kind of beat us down and, or beat us up and make us feel terrible about ourselves. It's simply to ask, are we, uh, is, our, is our principle, is our priority to please God or to try and go along in a neutral way thinking we'll be okay? Because actually it's not neutral. So that's the challenge for ourselves. How, what's, our, what's the drumbeat of our lives? Is it to please God or, or is it to be, try and be neutral but actually displeasing God? How was it yesterday? How was it today? How will it be tomorrow? Will our lives be an adornment for our faith or will they be an insult to our faith and to the faith uh, of many other believers around us? So will our lives be an an adornment or will there be a hindrance to faith both to ourselves and to those around us? Will our conduct uh, point to Christ, our risen saviour, or will it point in a different direction? Will it point towards him or will it point away? And so this is what Paul's calling out. And he talks about uh, that you walk. And walking is a metaphor for for living. It's for the direction we're walking in. It's for the purpose that we have to our lives. Which direction are we walking in? And he says that our walk should be to please God. So he preaches the gospel facts. There's plenty of doctrine in what Paul says. But there's also plenty of practice as well. He preaches not just the the facts of, of the faith, but also the practice of the faith. He doesn't preach just doctrine; he preaches life outward and within. I think it's Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones who said that he, he tries—he tells his people that doctrine isn't enough, but they need more doctrine, something like that. You know, they, that um, it's not just head facts and right beliefs, uh, important as, as that is. It's also our, our walk before God as well, and whether we're an adornment or uh, an obstacle to faith. And he acknowledges that the Thessalonians are doing this. He, uh, the Apostle Paul is often portrayed as being very pessimistic, very negative, or as having a downer on people, they're never good enough, look at me, look at me. But actually, uh, he acknowledges that the, that the Thessalonians are doing this, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he is encouraging them to live, uh, to keep on doing what they're doing, and he recognises and affirms what they're doing, the Thessalonian believers. A young church as it is, he likes to catch them doing the right thing, Uh, and like a good parent, praises them for that and and acknowledges that. And the more we think about it, are we either pleasing God or is our conduct pleasing to God, or likely to be displeasing to God? So we need to recognise that life is either growth or decay; it's one or the other. So in the same way, we live either to please God or displease God. So. Life also is either one of growth or decay. We're either moving forwards or we're moving backwards. You think about a plant, it grows up, then it reaches its apex and then it begins to wither. You think about children, they begin to grow up and then they get to a point, I'm looking around, some of us are there. <laughs> Most of us are there. Um, and then we begin to kind of grow down again uh, as we sort of, you know, into our last, our last decades. So we're either growing up and g- gaining strength and vigour uh, or we're kind of regressing. You think about two people. One of them is pushing a little trolley along. In fact, they're both pushing trolley along. But one's a one-year-old toddler, all right, like Claire. And she's growing up. And then you think about your dear old mum, okay, who, had a, who was pushing something, a Zimmer frame, and she was growing down. So we need to think about life as either growing or decaying. We need to think about our life as either pleasing or displeasing to God. And faith is the same. It doesn't stand still. It either grows and grows and grows as we ask God to feed it, or it diminishes and grows weaker as we um, cease to tend to it. So these are all encouraging things that Paul is calling out for the Thessalonian Christians and is calling out for us as well. Does our love for Christ grow warmer or does it chill? At work, we often talk about energizers and sappers. You know, there's people in meetings or just at work and they're either making you feel, you know, encouraging you, and you take a lot of, you know, a lot of positivity from them, and they're they wanting to encourage those around them and look on the bright side of things. Or there's people who say, oh, it's a disaster, it's terrible, it's just getting worse. Or they just don't want to put anything in to the workplace um, or into relations at work. And I'm sure you know we've we've come across um, people who fall into one or other. So are we energizers or are we sappers in our walk? before God? Are we pleasing God? Are we building up people's faith? Or are we uh, having a negative drag effect on that? Anyway, so Paul talks to Thessalonians and says, just as you are doing it, you do so more and more. So he's caught them doing the right thing, and he wants to encourage them to do so more and more. And in the next couple of verses, uh, so 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 2 and 3, he writes, for you know what instructions we gave you, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. So he's appealing here to his authority as, a, as, a, as an apostle. This isn't just me, a man, Paul, talking to you, he says. This is me channeling a message from God to the Lord Jesus Christ, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So he's invoking here great authority um, that what he's saying uh, has uh, comes straight from Jesus, that it's God's will that you be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality. Now, I know that immorality takes many forms, so why does Paul mention this one? Well, sexual immorality uh, is probably one of the oldest and most pervasive forms of immorality. It is found in just about every society, it's found in similar relationships, it's found at all levels. Rich and poor, uh, no kind of sector of, man, of, of, of society or of mankind is really um, immune from the, from the risk and the threat of sexual immorality. Uh, it is very pervasive. And Paul is writing from Corinth, and is in the midst of it there, where uh, sexual immorality was uh, a thing celebrated um, in that society. And if you read a little earlier, we read from 1 Corinthians 11, if you go back a few chapters, you'll read about how sexual immorality is even reported in the church in Corinth. Because that was very much the culture uh, it's the culture now. It's the cult- It was very much the culture then as well. Well, probably, know, probably more the culture there. Um, that it, it, of course, times times you know ebb and flow. But it was very, very strong. Uh, this this culture of sexual immorality, and it, and uh, he didn't want any believers to be tainted by that. At uh, least of all the Thessalonians to whom his his writing and he's saying, look, you know, your 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 life and your witness and your enjoyment of God is imperiled by this risk. Sexual morality is so often at the root of scandals, public and private. Um, and uh, Paul has seen it, uh, and he's warning uh, the, the the church in Thessalonica to also be aware of that as well. And he writes in verse four and five that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he's saying, this is God's will that this is how we should live. To, uh, to to abstain from this immorality and, and to control his own body in holiness and honour. And sort of scratch your head and think, well, if we could all control our own body in holiness and honour, then we'd be doing it, wouldn't we? It's it's not that easy, Paul. <laughs> it's actually quite difficult. Are we to rely on our own strength, on our own will, our own determination, because we know how far it's going to get us. Um, and it's it's kind of... It's a, it's kind of a, a, a verse that I've sort of been grappling with throughout the, throughout the week and discussed it, Loring. And you know, what does Paul mean by this? That each one of you know how to control his own body, in holiness and honour. Is it that straightforward? Can we do it? Um, and really, we, yes, we do need to exercise a lot of will and a lot of resolve, and we need to com- to, 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 to pray that God will complete the work which He started in conversion, that the outworking of God's redemption of us in conversion continues throughout our lives, and that we have the uh, the strength to, to to control our own body in holiness and honor. I mean, Paul writes, "This is the will of God that you do this." Okay, so um, therefore, God will help us do this. The Holy Spirit will help us will help us to do this, um, th- th- because it's it's His will. So be clear about that, and I think. I took a look at one or two other translations as well. And um, the New Living Translation, the NLT, um, puts it like this. So the verses 3 and 4. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honour. So I hope that's a, that's a faithful kind of rendition of, of what Paul is saying here. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honour. So that is the how to, um, to, 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 to reach towards sanctification, to stay away from sexual sin. Um, and he talks about not in the passion of lust. Now, people are passionate about all sorts of things, on a, on a scale from the harmless to the harmful. People can be passionate about croquet. <coughs> People are passionate about croquet, <laughs> um, and that's probably quite harmless, it's actually quite positive, crocheting, is that what it is, crochet, croquet, and crochet. crochet, crochet, did I say croquet? <laughs> I meant the thing that Laura just said, okay, where, you know, people will, will, will make things and give them away, and that is marvellous, that's amazing. Uh, we know somebody university with, um, I don't know her, but university university with, with her husband, Many, many years ago, and she's mad about crocheting stuff and wrapping around trees and bicycles and signs. And she, like, what's the word? Yarn bombing, Yarn bombing okay? <laughs> Actually, passionate about it, and we'll post pictures all over Facebook. And she's passionate about it, but it's probably quite harmless, okay? People can then get passionate about sport, okay? Uh, and they can be a little bit unhinged about sport. And the thing about passion is that it often makes us be. Kind of act in ways that aren't quite rational, that aren't really, you know, in the cool eyes of the day. Something that you that you do as much of. Um, so, crochet is that the right word. Um, is the uh, is, is something which people spend hours doing. Sport is some is, but, but it's it's probably quite harmless. They're not going to spend an absolute bundle of money on that, nor is it going to particularly lead them into sin. Sport might they can they can spend absolute fortune on season tickets and sports channels and spend all afternoon all weekend at sport events, and that might, might be kind of bordering on on, on being uh, bad for people. But the the passion that Paul is talking about here is the passion of lust, um, which is really always harmful. It's has being overpowered by this. It's being carried along on a on a wave of something where we're just a passive instrument of evil and that is a thing which paul is warning about people can be passionate about good things they can be passionate about things that aren't wonderful but aren't necessarily sinful but here is talking about being carried along in the passion of lust uh like the gentiles who do not know god i don't i'm not sure why he says gentiles because he often spoke of jews who don't know god either but really in other translations we'll talk about pagans but but um paul here is talking about um about being carried along by the passion of lust in sinful ways. Like people who do not know God. And that is what his warning is about. Because these are the terrible consequences of immorality. And it drives a, 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 d- a divide deep between us and God. And it's, it's a bridge which opens up a yawning gulf that opens up between man and God. But it is wonderfully uh, bridged uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has died and has been raised again. And is that bridge. Between ourselves and God. I hope this is appropriate, but we used to we used to know a chap at a, in a church in in Hertfordshire many many years ago, and he would say, at well, our church, well, somebody asked him how why don't we sing, "Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise" in this church? Not this church, I mean the church in Hertfordshire. And he would say, well, we haven't sung that hymn for these past seven and twenty years. Old fashioned. Um, because it says, "All Lord, we would render. Oh, help us to see! Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee." Uh, and that's a verse which we need to sort of think about: Is it only the the splendor of light which hides God from our view? Uh, and this chap would say, "No, it's our sin that hides God from our view." Um, and so, what Paul is warning about is being carried along uh, in the passion of lust like this and losing sight of God uh, and being blinded to his glory because we're so wrapped up in lustful things. Okay, so if we then look at uh, verse 6 where Paul goes on to say, um, God wills that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So this probably refers to adultery, um, transgressing and wronging uh, his brother in this matter. And the Lord is an avenger. He cannot be fooled or deceived uh, by sin like this. We can't hide this from him. And I'm just going to read from Galatians chapter 6. Um, and verse, sorry, Galatians 6 verses 7 and 8. Where Paul writes. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, so will from the flesh reap corruption. but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So everything has a consequence. Uh, and what Paul is saying is that, is that this sort of sensual indulgence which uh, robs us of our capacity to, for feeling, which leaves us with a, a sense of worsening dissatisfaction, which leads us to uh, a sense of loss, an appetite that can't be satisfied. That this uh, is is sowing um, to the flesh and will reap corruption, and instead he's pointing us to uh, sowing to the spirit, uh, from where, the, where where from the spirit will reap eternal life. That's not often that I. Um, Refer to Jeremy Paxman. Um, but on Universal Challenge the other week, um, there was a quote. Uh, from basically, who wrote this? And um, it goes like this. You may know before I get to the end. Um, it, was a quote, it was a question on Universal Challenge. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. Put your hand up if you know. Uh, that is why the little decisions that you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victory you never dreamed of. And apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack, otherwise impossible. Now, it's from mid-Christianity and of course it's C.S. Lewis. So I found that, and I've often thought about it since then, that good and evil both increase at compound interest. So that's another way of talking about um, Galatians six that reaping to the flesh will reap death and corruption. Sorry, S- sowing sowing to the to the flesh will reap uh, corruption. Sowing to the spirit will reap uh, immeasurable good. Um, so saying, the smallest good act today is the capture of a point from which a few months later he may be able to go into victories you never dreamed of. But an apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today. Is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead, speaking of it in military terms, from which the enemy may launch an attack, otherwise impossible. So, very important uh, warnings here and encouragements uh, in this in this first part of the passage. Let me get back to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. So then, that was the the first main point. The second is. Um, well, sorry, verses 7 and 8 basically recap this re- Recap this point. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, that verse 7, God has called us not for impurity, but in holiness. And he uh, underlines that the, the seriousness and the authority of what he's saying, of our calling and our mission to please God, is from a divine or- origin. Whoever disregards this disregards not man doesn't just disregard what the I Paul say, but is disregarding uh, God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay. So the second main point then, to do with brotherly love and conduct as a mark of our calling. So Paul writes in chapter in verse nine. Now concerning brotherly love you have no need for anyone to write to you you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So again, uh, he's catching the Thessalonians doing the right thing. He's saying, you know, you are doing this, you are showing brotherly love uh, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia in the area around Thessalonica. So we may ask, uh, why is it so important that we show brotherly love? it's It's a, a distinguishing conspicuous mark of being saved it doesn't come naturally it's something which God gives to us this brotherly love uh, of our fellow believers of all shapes and sizes, all sorts of backgrounds all sorts of habits um, and love those who come amongst us as well. It shows who is our new family it shows who are our spiritual parents and our spiritual brothers and sisters which uh, transcend uh, ordinary family relationships we now have new spiritual brothers and sisters sons and daughters mothers and fathers and showing brotherly love towards all of those is the distinguishing mark of our conversion love is the evidence so uh it's as strong as death i'm going to read one one john three chapter uh, one john three verse 14 1 Peter here, 1 John 3, verse 14, we We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, whoever does not love abides in death, so he's saying here this is our, this is the evidence of of our conversion, uh, that we love the brothers, we move from death into life, from darkness into life, uh, darkness into light because we love the brothers, is as strong as death. Not only does brotherly love make God's church visible to the world, our love for each other should also commend the church, the body of Christ as well. So if evidence of our conversion is brotherly love, and as we'll see uh, as is personal purity, um, then a question to ask ourselves, how are we doing? <coughs> how am I doing? How are we all doing on this brotherly love front? Uh, again, are we an adornment or are we a hindrance to faith and to the witness of the church. Okay. So, verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 4. For indeed that is what you were doing to all the brothers at Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So, as we mentioned, Thessalonica, it's in Macedonia, it's the it's centre or uh, near the centre of the area. It's uh, near Philippi and Berea. And so the church, the believers of Thessalonica are using their geographic position for good. And <coughs> again, Paul says, this is what you're doing. It's, it's good, keep it up, do it more and more. Uh, in the same way that he said, you're living in a way that's pleasing God, do it more and more. He's saying here, you're showing brotherly love, do it more and more. The two of them go hand in hand. And he's urging them to seek opportunities to express this selflessness rather than selfishness. Again, it's a question we should ask ourselves. How can we do this? How can we demonstrate selflessness uh, at home, at work, at church, at play and in the world in general? Moving into verse 11 where Paul urges the the Christians there to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So it may sound a little odd, coming from the lofty heights of walking in a way that pleases God, showing brotherly love, to now saying, live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your own hands. But again, this is really important that we do this as well, because there's more to this than, than meets the eye. What is urging the Christians here is to live in a way that... Uh, is not meddlesome, is not trying to seek advantage, is not take, seeking to take priority in relationships, is <coughs> not pushing themselves forward, is not uh, wanting to be in charge, is urging them to tame their desire to control or to judge or to seek uh, personal distinction or, or, or to show overweening ambition. So what he's saying here in these, in this, in these few words is basically mortify your sinful impulses to control, to judge, to be in charge, to interfere. So what he's saying is, live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your own hands. Now this isn't a call to a life of quiet retirement or silence. Uh, It's a call to live and to work and to influence and to be salt uh, and to be like a light in the city in a different way then may naturally come to us. Okay, But to seek to get alongside people, to help people, to serve people, not to push ourselves forward, not to always seek to be first. So actually it's a very active life, it's a very active call to live in this way and it's not easy to live quietly and to mind your own affairs or to... Uh, work with your own hands it's, it's showing humility it's showing peaceableness and these are great christian qualities which is urging the believers to show and to live out so it's not sit back by a hot tub or even buy a camper van and go off for the rest of your lives it is it is it is never it isn't it is, is we're well, not going to do that but but it's to show humility and peaceableness uh, and to and to and to sh- and, and these are the marks of Christian love, not to be first, but to push, but to but to uh, help and support other people, okay, and to help them to walk in a way that pleases God, to help them show brotherly brotherly love, one to another. Now Paul writes about this elsewhere, one Timothy chapter two, um, just a couple of verses uh, which I'll read. One Timothy two, the first three verses, where he writes. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings who are, who are and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. So he's saying to do this, to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, is good. And it brings us back to the main point of this evening, pleasing in the sight of God. It is pleasing to God to live in this way. So, the final verse, uh, where he reads, So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I did not really talk much about working with your own hands, actually, but I suppose what he's saying here is that we need to be industrious. We can't expect to have people support us when we're well able to support ourselves. People in the world can tell the difference between idleness idleness and, and industry. They can tell tell the difference between taking and giving. And that's what we're saying we should do here. Work with our own hands, that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Again, walk. This is the, 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 the metaphor for living, for life, that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, seeing as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that is cast off everything which, um, which encumbers. I didn't look it that beforehand, but you know the verse uh, I mean. So we need to be, uh, so, so it, it's good and pleasing the sight of God. So as I say, it brings us back to the main theme of, of pleasing God. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We need to be ready to speak of the hope uh, within us, our risen saviour it's perhaps harder to live the gospel than it is to, to speak the gospel. Um, and But with the with the Holy Spirit living in our lives and in our hearts, uh, then we can do this. And non-believers will, will, will tell the difference. And see the difference between love and enmity, uh, between revenge and forgiveness, between uh, a life of faith and hope, uh, and the difference between that and a life of unbelief and despair. And see the difference between Living a, a life which is pleasing to God, and which is displeasing to God. So let our lives glorify our Saviour, and His love, in going for the to the cross for us. And let's finish with a word of prayer. Our Lord and our Heavenly Father, we pray that You would uh, apply these, uh, these these messages, that You would have us hear to our hearts, Lord, that we would uh, see afresh, Lord, again the importance of uh, pleasing You, living in a way which is pleasing to You, which is uh, which is helpful and which is an adornment uh, to to the the grace that you have uh, lavished upon us, rather than taking it, Lord, and spurning it. So we pray that you would um, remind us, Lord, what your will is for us, our sanctification. We pray that uh, we would remember that you called us uh, not for impurity, but but in holiness. And we know that we will uh, do this imperfectly, Lord, uh, for we are we are um, sinful and fallen. And we pray that that you would take our um, our faltering gifts Lord and our, and our faltering efforts uh, and we'll we'll bless them Lord so we um, thank you that we uh, have forgiveness of, of sins in you Lord and we pray that well we thank you that we have forgiveness of sins Lord and we, we pray that we may turn and repent from them uh, uh, and and receive daily Lord the, the joy of, of, of salvation we ask this in our saviour's name Amen, Amen. Amen. Take it You've got that thing. You know.